Hello, everyone. It is time for Radio Trivia Podcast Edition, one of three or four episodes per year. <laughs> it's not even a joke at this point. And uh, we're recording this uh, for reference on the 2nd, or I don't know, is it, is it still the 2nd of, of uh, September for you, Greg? It's, well, it, it, with British summertime, it is technically uh, into the following day, the 3rd. Wow. Oh, dear. But, I mean, you know, it, it depends how, how seriously you treat that daylight savings business, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> So this is a very international recording today. Greg, it has been, I should have looked this up, it's probably been like four or five years since we recorded. Oh, This no. used to be an annual tradition. It's, it's, it's a couple of years. We did the, we did belatedly, we did the uh, 20, 2021, we did the sort of 2020, what was originally intended to be a 2020 episode, recapping or kind of somewhat summarising the preceding decade, you know, the 10. So we did, we had like games. Oh, wow, I forgot about that one. We did yeah. game, we did game. I sort of plan, mostly planned it, you know, kind of to record, you know, kind of get it ready for some time in 2020 to record it. And of course, you're relatively early in 2020, stuff happened. Uh, and, yeah, you know, we didn't record it. What are you talking about? We what, didn't, what, what? We didn't huh? record it until 21, but yeah, we, we did that. So, yeah, that was mostly like my picks, and we kind of had like a game from each system that was, you know, Nintendo kind of launched and supported, uh, you know, for some amount of time anyway, some less than others uh, in the case of the Wii U. Uh, it, during that decade, it just kind of give you a sense of uh, a lot changed, didn't it? You know, from the kind of the tail end of Wii and DS to the you know, by you know, 2019, already pretty clearly surging switch. It was uh, it was a bit of a roller coaster, and we kind of uh, tried to sum it up a bit uh, in a musical way. But yeah, even that was a couple of years ago now. So yeah, it's it's, it's been a while. Okay, well, not quite as long as I thought. Oh well, that's fine. It's it's that's fine. I hope I didn't just slight Guillaume. Uh, like behind this. Behind the curtain, uh, uh, Guillaume was also interested in recording, so we'll probably have him on next episode. And I don't remember when he last recorded. I think it's more recently than... I, oh, yeah, I, I can remember hearing yeah. Guillaume on the episode more recently than that. But still, yeah, yeah. Did, as you mentioned, okay. the sort Shoot. of, okay. you know, roughly quarterly pace of these episodes. I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's always apt to be a fair amount of time, unless you're going to be on back-to-back episodes. It's going to be six months. Yep. Okay, well, I... Uh, Greg only picked one game this time, so he's mostly playing along. Yeah, yeah, it's a risk. Like I said, it's it's not something I've done that much in a, in in a very long time, and certainly just listening along with the episodes, uh, the the record has been you know checkered, shall we say? Definitely, some episodes have been almost entirely wiped out. Others. You know, you kind of it's it, problem is when you're listening to as I often do, I might be listening, you know, just while doing my grocery shopping or something. So, you know, you're not all the way locked in. He's like, Oh yeah, no, I did know that and it's like but did you if you were actually playing, would you have guessed it correctly? Would you have said a you know, a game from the right series but the wrong game or something like that? You know, you could end up kidding yourself a little bit when you're just listening at home. This is <laughs> this is the real stuff. Well this now. isn't the live competition. Yeah. yeah this isn't the live competition. And uh, honestly, it's getting harder and harder to play along with this. I mean, especially like me, because I'm not playing that many games these days. So, you know, anything that's like new, relatively new, it's like I'm probably not getting. So, you know, we do these Halloween specials, which probably going to be coming up soon. I I hope uh, 
I, I hope the Talking Tendo guys reach out to me. Um, we do this crossover thing now. It's a little bit of a tradition. Yeah. It's like I, I'm, I'm usually pretty much screwed because... I'm, I'm not going to know what they're picking because they're usually picking something pretty recent on Yeah, still, I still, I've heard uh, those episodes. You usually it's still pre- fun. You're pretty, pretty wily about it. You know, it might not be a case of like, well, I've literally played that, so I know what it is. But there's, you know, there's some, there's some de- deduction going on, and you know, some, uh, some educated <laughs> guessing. You know, so yeah, you can, you can try and bridge the gap a little bit here, there. But str- also, just the absolute cornucopia of stuff that's on Switch now, you know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, oh, yeah. I, I'm not saying I want to go back to the, the, the very small uh, pond of Wii U exactly, but it, it definitely was a lot easier to feel like you had your finger on the pulse of, of you know, a, a pretty decent selection of what was actually on the platform, and that's uh, it's very different now. Yeah, it's, it's just a torrent. And any of that stuff is technically game, right? All all the random crap that the shovelware shoved onto the eShop. I mean, in theory, I could use one of those. Uh, probably not going to unless someone else recommends it. But you know, it, it's it's all it's all uh, you know per the rules at least. Uh, I've got I've just um, got this this allowed. image in my mind of like one of these stupid games, you know, these sort of algorithmically generated games called bloody Hyper Global <laughs> Meganet or whatever. <laughs> so, and it's got a, the, the, a little graphic on the thumbnail, like a little badge, you know, like the Nintendo seal of quality, quality that says Radio Trivia Eligible. <laughs> so it might be like the nicest That's thing right. you could say about it, to be honest. <laughs> we should probably get started here. Sure. Uh, yeah, first game.
Well, it's a, a pretty cl- a pretty clear kind of FM synth direction there, uh, which uh, you know kind of puts your mind of Sega sort of kind of output more than Nintendo. But again, I mean, there's so many games today that uh, are kind of would even very very recent ones that would kind of take their cues from that the uh, heritage of kind of video game music that doesn't actually narrow it down that much. <laughs> Enjoyable stuff, but I think I don't need that hint question. Give me any chance of uh, zeroing in on the on a guess here. All right, listen carefully to this one. Okay. What is the name of the brand new portion of this game? Hmm.
Ah, uh, yeah. Well, wondering if that one's a little more familiar. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think that that probably would have got me to where I needed to be. Uh, but the hint question certainly doesn't hurt. Although I don't think I've got the precise answer to that hint question, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So I believe uh, this is uh, Mega Man: The Wily Wars for the expansion it pack. Uh, currently, it's, it's been on. Was it? It's been. It's been on something. Maybe it's on virtual console or something. Before I, I can't remember. Uh, but. Uh, 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 yeah, it's, it's the Genesis game currently available on on uh, NSO. No, uh, yeah, I think expansion. what it was, it was on the Mega. Maybe it was on the Mega Drive Mini or something. I think that that was maybe its previous uh, kind of digital uh, comeback, if you like. Even though, yeah, obviously not not uh, not digital download in that case, because you had to buy the Nintendo digital. But yes, uh, that it, it's funny how much instrument uh, sort of changes can like because it, it wasn't like. Uh, that obvious at first, even though you know I've played the NES uh, games. You know that the, these are porting uh, the first three, right? Uh, NES games mm-hmm. uh, that are represented in the Wily Wars. So I've, I've played them a fair bit, uh, but certainly, yeah, the last one is just uh, a bit too kind of memorable, I guess, not to kind of punch through the instrument change uh, and, and find your way there with uh, with this, but. Uh, well. You're selling yourself, for, uh, Greg, because um, I think those first two songs were from the new portion. Ah, uh, see, game. so this is what I was going to say. I do remember, because again, I think, because, uh, sort of seeing, like, thinking about maybe, like, giving this more. I've, I've messed with it a little bit on the expansion pack, um, you know, just to kind of see. Uh, how it kind of plays and how it feels and stuff any differently from you know being familiar with the NES versions of those games and playing those on the Legacy Collection Virtual Console you know fair few times now but um, you know I, I so I know that I think there's something you can unlock if you beat the games but I don't remember what it, what it is because I've not actually done it myself yeah, so you know, Mega Man series is one of these game series that I, I, I really like, but I also I'm not very good at them, and, and just the nature of how they're structured, I, I get kind of get pissed off on them because the bosses are generally really hard, especially at the beginning. And so there's there's, there's this aspect of you, you, you grind through a level and then you're just totally toast on a boss. I mean, and you know, save states and rewind features definitely help with, with some of this, but even then it's like, if you're doing the bosses out of the quote-unquote correct order, um, you're, you're, it's an uphill battle. It's always that that early going of like kind of you know you you you're the Velociraptors in Jurassic Park. You're testing the fences for weaknesses. You're testing which bosses you can actually have give a go without the weapon that they're susceptible to. Right. And once you find one and then maybe, you know, a second one or all that, and then you actually start saying, okay, well, you know, it kind of makes sense. that Not that the weapon weaknesses are always ruthlessly logical in Mega Man, but, uh, <laughs> or terribly intuitive, but certainly, yeah, a fair few of them is like, okay, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is going to work, uh, you know, now that I've got this and you go, and, and it, you know, it's one of these weird games that actually, you know, kind of gets a bit easier as it goes on before you get to the kind of Wily's Castle scenario where, you know, it gets harder again because it's designed around the fact that it knows you've got all the all the weapons from the Robot Masters at that point. Yep. 
so, so yeah, you have to beat all three main games is my understanding, one, two, and three. And then uh, it unlocks the um, kind of the new portion of the game, which isn't, I don't think it's very big. It's called Wiley's Tower. And um, so I, I think the idea is it's kind of like the, you know, the Wiley's Castle in this game. It's kind of the meta Wiley's yeah, yeah, Castle. Yeah, an, an overall, yeah, kind of concept of, for that, an overall version for that particular concept. Yeah, so, so I haven't gotten there. I mean, I've only tinkered with, the, you know, a little bit. I'm never, I don't think I've ever beaten any of those three Mega Man games. I've gotten pretty deep into Mega Man 2, I think, but I generally would get stuck on, like, the final boss in a Mega Man game, so... Um, yeah, I think it, 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 there's a fair bit of that getting stuck at the end of Mega Man games. Like, I don't... I don't think I've finished three. I played a lot of it, but I don't think I quite finished it. But, like, I've I, I finished two, nine, ten, eleven... Uh, and then I think, oh, which one was it now? Probably five, I think I beat on the Legacy Collection. Um, so, you know, I have beaten some, but there's a fair few other ones where you just, you get to the end and it's like, you know, and you, you're struggling yeah. and then you think, oh, I'll come back to it. And then you don't. And, it, and even if no, you... That, and that, even that's if, me with Mega Man. I, I Mega Man X, I'm pretty sure that happened to me. And then, what was it? ZX or ZX more recently. Right. The same exact thing. I get to the final boss, like you know, it's kind of like the phenomenon of, of um, a lot of Metro games, where you know, if you aren't exploring a lot, you're underpowered in terms of number of missiles and, and, and energy packs. And um, Metroid isn't quite as punishing because usually, you know, I can go back and explore, and that's fun. Mega Man just isn't quite quite as good about that. So, yeah, I don't know. But anyway, I, I think this would be ripe for the. What do they call the the like versions that they released on NSO that have like oh, the Oh yeah, the SP versions versions. Yeah, they, they they haven't done a lot of those on the expansion pack kind of content. I kind of, I get it with N64, I mean they can't, right? Because they they don't have, right. um, well no, they can. Uh, well, but they could. It, it's a save state. They got save states. They don't have rewind, so I guess it's it's a, that's yeah. the difference. I don't know if that represents anything, but no, they do save states, so they could do it. But I, don't, I just don't think they have. And then with GBA, I haven't seen any yet. I don't think. And then yeah, with with the Genesis games either. Whereas you know, Super Nintendo, and especially I think the NES games, there's quite a lot. Some of them, like some games, have multiple ones. Like I think, for instance, the NES version of Gradius. There is one that is like the second half of the the game or something, and then there's one that's the second loop of the game. You know when you would have already beaten the final boss, and then you know you, you go through it again, but it's a bit harder or whatever. Uh, and there's definitely, I think, for Metroid and Super Metroid, there's like a, a safe state where you've got everything, you've got every pickup in the game, and it's just mm-hmm. you can go to the end game. And uh, you know, fight Mother Brain and, and do the escape and all that with with all your stuff, uh, for instance. So, uh, and 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 quite a few more as well. So yeah, it's it's, it's uh, you know, it's a cute sort of feature, I think. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a shame it doesn't seem to be anything that uh, you know they've like really like continued to push. Maybe they found that their analytics suggest that you know people aren't actually using them. 
that much or something because uh, you know it's it's a nice I think Kirby Kirby's adventure like maybe you've got the kind of extra game you know that you get after you yep. beat it and stuff like it, it's it's neat for things like this uh, but yeah it's mostly kind of absent from the more recent additions to the service yeah I, I agree I, and I think that's really what it boils out is the like I did the Kirby's adventure one because I wanted to play it on the hard mode when they get go um, and this one just seems obvious. Well, if you've already played Mega Man 1, 2, 3, you'd want to see the new content for this game, right? Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, that, it just seems kind of like an obvious thing to do, but maybe we'll get around to it eventually. I don't know. I don't know how, how they're managing these. Um, but yeah, the, my, Wily Wars, I mean, it's a pretty faithful port of, of the first three games. Um, it's kind of like the Bizarro version because, you know, the music's different. It's the same, but it's not. And I'd say some of the uh, rearrangements are, work pretty well. And maybe even like some of them more, and others really don't. So it's kind of, it's just sort of an interesting version of the games. Yeah, you, obviously when you, you think about you know Mega Man music on NES, I'm sure you know at that stage, you know when you're dealing with the NES, uh, in particular, especially like when it wasn't sort of embellished by like extra sound chips and things that like you know you had in Japan for Konami games or whatever. You know the compositions were probably you know, really heavily informed by what. The, what you could do on the NES, you know, they were very specifically based around the sound, the hardware, and what it was capable of. So it, it doesn't surprise me that some of them don't port that naturally, like you know, to just like the Mega Drive type sound. Uh, you know, with, uh, may, maybe you know, with a, a slightly different kind of take of a rearrangement, it, it could still have worked or whatever. But yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me that they don't all just work uh, perfectly well because they just they were you know, quite different in terms of their sound capabilities, the way they were. So you know, they, it, it's just that that used to be such a thing with video game composers you know a lot of the time they were doing the same programming as well so it kind of everything had to go kind of hand in glove and then you know you transplant that to the 16-bit system doesn't necessarily kind of work uh, perfectly well but it, it this was a strange case of like it, it didn't even come out as a cartridge in america right it was the one of these sega channel things you know where the sort of uh, proto online service uh, that, that you had on. I did not know that. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure it was the I think definitely had a cartridge in Japan uh, even though, you know, the Mega Drive was not terribly successful in Japan. Uh, and I think also maybe in Europe as well, but in America you had the Sega Channel service and uh, I think this was available through that. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of, a, wow. kind of a strange thing, but I guess maybe they just felt like you know, uh, it wasn't. It wasn't so. You, we talk about this a fair bit on RFN. You know, American distribution is 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 a thing to take on. You know, like it's. Uh, you have to be sure that it's going to be worth your while. I guess to to run up against the costs of distributing it for a, a, a North American wide launch. And uh, yeah, they probably just felt like maybe it wasn't, you know, it wasn't enough for a sure thing to, you know, when you got to, especially with like cartridge manufacturing costs and things, it's, uh, it, it's, you were assuming a risk and they just weren't willing to, I guess, in this case. That's great. To me, that's just crazy. Cause I mean, there's all sorts of junk on, on Genesis and SNES. And it's like, Mega Man's a known, yeah, that, that's true. A, you know, different art. That's just kind of strange. I mean, to me, it's like, 
if you grew up with you know a master system and, and a Genesis, it's like that would be sort of one of those brands that you've been coveting. You probably really want to play. Yeah, that's so, that's, a, that's an interesting point. That's weird. You could definitely you, you feel like that was the 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 kind of all raison d'etre of the project, right? It's just like hey, you know, this is. So, and also, I would imagine beyond just the idea of like oh, let's bring you know Mega Man to these whole kind of tranche of players that haven't had access to it before but also presumably because you know the genesis was more successful than master system right and so it's like okay well this is actually worth catering to at this point and most of that sort of bump in success was in north america you know because master system was right. already successful in europe sega was already quite relevant in the 8-bit era in Europe, it was you know the 60-bit era and North America where they made the big jump. So yeah, I, I assume it is one of those things where surely at some point the plan was for it to be you know a, a, a launch across the US with a physical cartridge, but something in the interim you know it, it, it scuppered it. They got spooked, or you know maybe sales because it was quite late by the time. You know, the, the, the European release, for instance, was in 1995. So, you know, the Saturn is on the market in some territories by this point, I believe, isn't it? Or, it, or it's about to come out, perhaps. Uh, so maybe it was that that kind of uh, put them off. I don't know. Uh, they sort of Star Fox to it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Very, very well. well, we really, really should go on to the next game. Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah. Wow, that's amazing.
Mm. Yeah, distinctive, but uh, not got a lead on it at, at this point. I'm always bad about citing the composers uh, for the Wily Wars. Uh, obviously, you know, three mixes, but I, I, the best I could tell looking online was Kinuyo Yamashita was responsible for for the music for at least that version of the game. So, right. I'm bad. <laughs> I'm bad, guys. I, I need to be better at citing the sources. Sorry, citing the composers. Yeah, that. I mean, the first song I thought had a little bit of a kind of early aughts kind of vibe, but obviously it had that kind of retro sound to it as well. But then that was just felt like really quite over, like early mid aughts, like kind of dance stuff. But in terms of a particular game, I've got nothing at this juncture. Like, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of F Zero GX. I'm sure it's not that because it's been used. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I need the hint. Here's your hint question, Greg. So, given the intellectual property rights holder, which perhaps unexpected team developed this pseudo port? Hmm.
Well, I think I've been a bit of a dead end here. That that hit question is really quite an interesting question. I, I, I'm trying to think of things that would satisfy those conditions, but nothing that meshes with the music. Like the the main thing I kind of came up with was like the Twin Snakes, you know. Where it's like, okay, well, Konami own Metal Gear Solid, but you've got Silicon Knights making, you know, what it's sort of a pseudo port remake for GameCube. But obviously, I mean, that music is <laughs> it's not the Metal Gear, <laughs> not even in the same sort of universe. And I, can't, you know, I was thinking maybe, you know, that kind of early aughts and, you know, like a 3D Sonic or something, but I'm sure they've all been Yu Yo Adventure you know, on GameCube and Sonic Heroes and stuff, so I'm just, I'm out of it. I've got nothing. Oh, you, you are so on the right track. You, you're going to be kicking yourself, or maybe you just forgot this game existed. This is Ridge Racer 64. Ah, Nintendo 64. Well, isn't a bad, yeah, it is vaguely in that area. I mean, it is a very similar situation. So uh, this is a game that was developed by Nintendo Software Technology. Ah. And uh, which is, of course, NOA's, at least then, in-house. I guess they still exist. I don't know if they make any games themselves anymore. But at the time, they, they actually did make games. The the Mario vs. DK mini stuff, like they kind of kept like uh, yeah. trucking along with uh, various iterations of, of that concept for, for a while. But I guess it's even been a little while since they last uh, popped up, you know, on the sort of tipping stars with Wii U and 3DS, I want to say, which at this point must be, I don't know, six, seven years ago, I want to say. Yeah. But yeah, it was a very similar situation. I don't, I mean, I don't know the machination, but just kind of looking at it from the outside, it's it's a it's a kind of a port, kind of a sequel of you know the Ridge Racer games, or at least maybe like the first two of them uh, from the PlayStation. But it, you know, it was rebuilt for N64. I mean, from what I can tell, it looks pretty good on N64. This is a late N64 game, so they were trying to maybe flush out the, the lineup a little bit. Um, and, 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 you know, Nintendo probably stood up and said, like, hey, you know, we'll fund this thing. We'll do this. Just let us use your IP. Low risk to Namco. Another, another one, uh, another example of that sort of phenomenon I thought of, but again, it was just like so obviously wrong because I know the, the game and the soundtrack quite well, but I think it speaks to the sort of era that we're talking about here, you know, around the turn of the century, the back end of the N64's life. Uh, the Resident Evil 2 port which was actually developed by Angel Studios, who were part of the dream team of, you know, the, the kind of, uh, that Nintendo put together uh, you know, at the beginning of the N64 sort of project. Um, and they didn't mm. end up actually, like, shipping that many games, but obviously that's Capcom's game. You know, but pre uh, again, I would have thought Nintendo, as, as a sort of little prelude to the very enthusiastic embrace of the Resident Evil series uh, that they engaged in in the GameCube generation, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, probably paid to uh, make that happen and, and tasked, you know, Angel Studios with developing it. But of mm. course, you know, again, that soundtrack would be totally wrong for that sort of thing. But I guess it's, it's part of that, like, initiative that they were doing at this point to try yeah. and bring some of the, no, the, the games, you know, Resident Evil Ridge Racer, they were both very much associated with the PlayStation's ascent 
2 being the most popular console so I imagine they felt there was some value even if it was all a bit late in the day to putting those franchises on N64. Yeah, you know, I think there, I mean, eventually on the GameCube, there was at least some sort of Ridge Racer spin-off game, if I recall correctly. It was, at least I, re- I recall going to E3 and sitting through some sort of presentation on it, so. <laughs> uh, I don't think I would have been there if it wasn't on a GameCube platform at the time, so. So yeah, so you know, maybe it was also kind of laying that groundwork. I don't think it wound up being a very well-received game, but whatever. So this game was later ported to Nintendo DS, too. So uh, that's yeah. probably worth noting, too. So if you played Ridge Racer DS, that was a port of the N64 game. Yeah, there were, there were as a certain line of, you know, N64 to DS, you know, kind of games, wasn't there? You know, it wasn't, like, overwhelming or anything like GBA, SNES-type levels, but there, there were a fair few. Uh, but uh, I, I thought the music sounded, you know... I guess you, 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 it's one of these things where it probably wouldn't have sounded like that if it was an earlier N64 game. You kind of get the feeling maybe this is more later where they had better ways of compressing music mm-hmm. onto those cartridges. Uh, because, yeah, I just uh, because of the way the N64 was with the memory constraints on the cartridge and the fact there was no dedicated sound processor, so everything that the you were doing with the sound was going to take away from other stuff that the uh, CPU was doing, it, it, especially in the early going, you know, the, the instrument quality and fidelity and stuff wasn't always that high. Yeah, so this one was uh, composed by Keith RM. I don't know if he did any other Ridge Racer games, but he he founded a company that looks like it's pretty prolific nowadays. It's PCB Productions, a um, lot of audio uh, music and, and just sort of sound design type type work across movies, television, video games. So um, this was probably pretty early days for that company, but um, pretty impressive stuff on N64. Yeah, I've never really had that much experience with Ridge Racer myself. You know, I've, I've, I've no friends that owned, you know, had, uh, owned some version of the game on different consoles, or I think uh, I played a little bit because uh, on the, on 3DS, you know, that that, that looked sort of pretty much a launch game, right? Someone had that, and I, uh, they sort of uh, let, uh, let me borrow it, and I played a bit of it there, but never really kind of uh, explored it fully. I mean, I think. Uh, Generally, what yeah, what I've heard is kind of like I think it's Ridge Racer Type Four or something on the plate. The original PlayStation is like one of the most sort of revered entries there. Uh, so probably, maybe I could have got that on PSN back when I used to use my PS3 a lot, uh, but I didn't get around to it there either. Um, so you know, it's uh, it, it, it's always one of these things that, like I said. It was it was relevant, um, you know. Certainly before it probably became popularly remembered for that whole disastrous PS3 press conference thing. Uh, That's you know, all I think of. No, exactly. It, uh, unfortunately, that has kind of overwritten. I think quite a lot of people. But I, I remember, you know, reading the magazines in the mid '90s. You know that uh, it was one of these things. <laughs> 
Fundraiser, everybody. It was uh, that was the mine just waiting to be tripped, wasn't it? Yeah, that <laughs> it was. Uh, it was yeah. The fact that that came out on PlayStation, the original PlayStation, as a you know a, a, a pretty well functioning polygonal game, you know that uh, did a good approximation of something that was in the uh, big in the arcades at the time. It was a big deal. It was a it was a, the, the, a proving ground that PlayStation could you know uh do, do these sorts of experiences justice and that it was it was thought to be you know a good sign for its fortunes in the market and, and so it proved to be okay we're gonna go on to a listener request now very good
right. Well, the just the the richness of that is sending me in a couple of a, a particular direction. Uh, I've got a couple of potential candidates in mind. Although it bears mentioning again, with the sort of enormity of the number of games on Switch, there's probably more likely candidates than I'm imagining currently. So the the hint question may yet play a role, but at least I feel like I've got some idea. I'm not afraid. 
Okay, well, I, to be honest, I think I'm cooler now than I was after the first song, which only really highlights my ignorance in the first place. But uh, yeah, <laughs> the hint questions will surely be welcome. Well, this one might help. Um, I guess it kind of just sort of depends on how much you know about this game. Mm. Uh, so what talent, which is fairly commonplace in our reality, do only witches possess in this game's universe?
Yep, well, there's uh, some, some very pleasant stuff in there, but uh, none of it is uh, getting me where I need to be, and uh, even though the hint question has the kind of specificity that uh, you know, could help uh, some people, for unfortunately I don't have <laughs> the context to actually make that work, so you're going to have to put me out of my misery. All right, well, this was requested by... Two longtime listeners uh, of our show here, Kenny Inselset and Andy Ellie. This game is Stella Glow for the 3DS. Ah, yes, I do. I do remember that that game a little bit. It was one of the games that went sort of uh, on pretty deep discount right at the end, right with the eShop uh, you know, going away sort of process, I believe. Oh, that's right. And and if I'd paid more attention, I might have actually bought this game because it actually sounds like it might be interesting. This um, this game was, I think, a late, late-ish 3DS game, maybe 2015. Yeah, I guess the, the, the sort of 3DS had quite a protracted kind of late period in the end because it kind of ended up doing some of the kind of vamping for Nintendo <laughs> before they got to uh, the Switch when Wii U just uh, you know didn't didn't make it didn't didn't really kind yeah. of uh, accomplish much of anything that Nintendo would have hoped for it. So yeah, I, I can remember I think James speaking about this on RFN, you know, probably around about, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine it was earlier than 2015, so yeah, I, th- I think um, that, yeah, it was a good while ago now, obviously, yeah, but uh, that's yeah. probably about okay, right. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm looking at it now. So it came out in June in J- 2015 in Japan, and mid-November in 2015, so it was, it was, it was, you know, right in the thick of, you know, pre-Black Friday releases. Uh, that year, and, and it didn't come out till next, the following year in, in Europe. Yeah, well, I think uh, so. that was like during you know, a lot of that generation. Uh, you know, the, the, a lot of those games, you know, again, that got kind of uh, they all got discounted together at the end. You know, a lot of the Atlas stuff, uh, you know, and all that. Like they, they, they yep, didn't so, tend. Of which this is one of them. They, they, <laughs> they did not tend to get like the most expeditious kind of releases in Europe during that kind of phase and all and of course it was more of an issue compared to like the DS or of course now with Switch because 3DS was actually regional uh, you know, so uh, it, it was. It was. It, I think uh, there was a, a fair amount of annoyance kind of expressed at various points. Uh, you know, at some of these things that went on with uh, with those sorts of releases. But yeah, I mean, clearly from the first song, straight away that level of kind of richness. You know, the sort of moving strings and piano together. You think RPG straight away it's just like okay it's RPG where are we going with this? And I was kind of thinking about you know maybe some of the more prominent ones that have passed me by lately you know you kind of uh, you bravely default to your, your octopath traveler too or you know these sorts of things but it was yeah it was it was once the vocals came in in the second song it's like I can't see that being in one of those games so it's got to be it's got to be something it's got to be something else but yeah obviously even you know leaving aside the enormous depth of, of things that are available on Switch. 3DS had a lot of uh, you know RPGs. You know that was one thing it did not lack for. Uh, it was you know, very very popular in that regard, uh, especially being you know the preeminent sort of machine in Japan. 
so yeah, uh, there were there were a lot of, as I the, the insinuated myself, there were a lot of candidates, and evidently I couldn't think of them all. The the witch thing just didn't tip me off. Yeah, so maybe we should talk a little bit about the game. I, again, I haven't played it. I, I suspect this is going to be hard to find nowadays if you didn't get on the eShop. Um, so, so this is composed by Shunsuke Tsuchiya and Yasunori Mitsura, or buddy Mitsura. Um, and uh, it's, it's a tactical RPG. I mean, in, in terms of just sort of visuals, just, you know, eyeballing the, 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 the battle system, it looks very much like a, you know, a Final Fantasy Tactics or a, or a Fire Emblem really is what, what to me looked, reminded me more of. Just, you know, isometric view, uh, you know, grid-based, where you know blue shows you where you're able to walk, and I don't know if it's orange or red or something for you know where you can attack from there. So I mean, that looks very familiar from you know uh, superficially at least. Um, but you know, very anime. I mean, I guess this is. I guess Fire Emblem had, had kind of made the jump to even even more make it more anime by then, too. Um, but uh, yeah, so this uh, this game uh, has a bunch of characters in it that you know very plot driven, and uh, the the premise I think is that there was some sort of cataclysm which uh, punishment for humankind's sins was they can't sing anymore or like music in general is kind of like a lost talent. But uh, the quote unquote witches uh, uh, still are able to sing, so it's kind of like a, a, a few. Uh, a few ladies. I mean, we're, we're talking like you know, anime witches. They wear a witch hat. They're you know, <laughs> yeah. type you know, <laughs> characters. Not, not what I would think of. You know, witches when I first read that, I'm like, Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So that, that's that's the premise, and I, I think that it becomes like part of the battle system where like it's like a buff basically, or and you can you know do risk reward for a bigger buff. And I, I guess the songs sing while you're playing the battle. I don't. I don't know. Uh, that I don't know. Uh, they, they, they really kind of work in that concept, you know, because obviously yeah. it's, it's a fairly, you know, like bards or, you know, singers as, as a kind of uh, buff, you know, a unit that buffs your yeah. other characters. It's, it's, it's something you see a fair bit, but they're really, you know, they're sort of uh, actually... They lean they, into it. It's, yeah, it's actually baked into, like, the lore and, and, and stuff in this case, I guess. Yeah. So this was the last game made by this team, Image Epoch. Yeah. Um, they made, um, well, I just looked it up and I forgot. They made Luminous Arc. That's what it was. Luminous Arc. They made like oh, three or four of those for DS. They, they made, they turned out a bunch of them back in the day. Um, and this, I guess this is kind of a spiritual sequel to those games. It's, you know, a similar genre or same genre game. I don't think it's a direct sequel, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe there's more linkage than I realize. But, um, yeah, so if you kind of want some Final Fantasy, or Final Fantasy, um, Fire Emblem-like, that without Fire Emblem, this is probably one to check out. I actually probably should have checked this out because I was kind of burned out on Fire Emblem. But if I wanted something that plays kind of like it, this would probably be a good pick. Awakening being such a kind of breakout hit on 3DS probably kind of paved the way for you know sort of more of these games to uh, get a chance, I would have thought, you know, in, in terms of... Uh, you know, publishers be willing to back them and uh, you know, getting like more coverage, especially probably in the English-speaking kind of uh, you know, media as a result of the fact that it's like, oh, you know, these because you know, there were Fire Emblem games on DS and 
various Fire Emblem uh, type, you know, games on the DS, like uh, Tactics A2, you know, Final Fantasy, and the, the various things. But I don't, just the fact that, you know, especially like Fire Emblem, it kind of felt like it did, they just kind of came and went on DS, you know, like when it was GBA, it was a big deal because it was getting localized for the first time, mm-hmm. and they reviewed super well. And then Awakening was huge, and they, you know, they turned. Uh, you know, uh, fates into this big thing with multiple releases and, and all this kind of stuff, you know, a bunch of DLC and all that, but, you know, DS, it, it kind of just felt really quite low-key by comparison, so, yeah, I think 3DS, there was a kind of, um, you know, the, the, the fact that it was so big just opened up the, the opportunities for more sorts of things, so I guess, you know, right at the very beginning of 3DS, you had that Ghost Recon game that was a bit like you know sort of a, a mm-hmm. similar kind of yeah. gameplay so yeah it was uh, you know i guess with like some aspects of the system just lent themselves really well to this kind of experience and relatively there were a lot of uh, pretty good ones i think yeah well, i don't know how this game sold i don't know if the developer went bankrupt like before this thing you know, even had a chance to make money or or what but you know you know the nis americas and atlas games they i feel like they tend to not they tend to be very conservative with their marketing strategies. They don't, they don't do a heavy push for these things. I guess they, they kind of know the, the niche audience that they're targeting, and they hope that there's good word of mouth because it's a good game, and and they just sort of know the numbers they're trying to meet. I, I just don't get the impression they're they're willing to, you know, bet at all essentially on on a game. So, um, you know, Nintendo has a much bigger. Marketing Yo. budget for you know promoting Fire Emblem, and so course, I feel like this yeah. game probably could have done a lot better based on it. I mean, it seems like it was pretty darn well received. You look at the reviews, um, it was one of those games where they say, you know, it's a very polished, there's some quirks to it, but you know, it's maybe not the most original thing, but it's really well done overall, you know. But and I just, I just remember the you know, I don't remember if this was Atlas or NIS, I remember this particular game, but just I, I remember. Interacting with, you know, the marketing guys on, on and those those companies in that era, and, and it was just, you know, it's just clear that it's, yeah, we, we're this is this is the group we know is interested in this game, and this is who we're marketing it to. <laughs> you know, it wasn't you know, you sell you sell to those people, the people that already kind of feel like they yeah, know they want it, which is really a shame because you know you're not gonna have a breakout hit if you don't try to try. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess maybe probably more sensible later in the 3DS's life, you know what I mean? Like, the the, the longer it went on, the less likely it was that you were probably going to kind of um, break out of you know into some uh, some sort of bigger audience you know the 3ds's audience itself kind of you know uh, hardened a little bit you know just into your kind of nintendo kind of enthusiasts and, and enthusiasts for certain genres you know probably like you know rpgs and you know even tactical rpgs in particular so you know again yeah you can understand the rationale behind it but i do i do remember it being you know, pretty pretty well uh, thought of and uh, yeah Mitsuda's involvement is kind of interesting like I guess uh, you know the, maybe the kind of presence of the acoustic guitar here there but that might, might sort of uh, be a little bit of a you know kind of um, uh, you know, something that you'd expect to see in a 
soundtrack that involves Mitsuda, although of course you know so many of the soundtracks he contributes to are not necessarily things that he's doing every song for or you know sometimes it's uh, you know he's very yeah. much the kind of supervisor as in the case like with the you know the Xenoblade games in other cases he's like a guest you know that composes a few tracks like uh, with Sea of Stars that just came out on Switch you know so it's uh, there's varied degrees of the sort of level of involvement how hands on and all this kind of stuff how much he would input he would have with the other composers work for instance but uh, yeah it um, you know th- that that first song I was probably you know thinking more like yeah that that's the at least you know I, I was probably thinking more of games that were trying to evoke a Mitsuda sound rather than him actually being involved personally but then once you got to the vocal stuff I was like mm, no this this doesn't seem like like it's that again as I already mentioned but I don't know, you know, maybe I just happened to choose two that you needed to compose. And there's plenty of other songs in this game, so, you know, as you would imagine from this genre, they're, they're, they're tough, tough, tough number of songs to choose amongst them. So. Oh, yeah, of course. No, but the vocal stuff does speak to, you know, they're clearly, you know, a very key element of the game as well, you know, so I'm sure mm-hmm. that, that does kind of feed into a bunch of different aspects of the soundtrack. Uh, we're already like an hour plus into the recording here. We should probably <laughs> move on. Certainly, um, yes. And uh, yeah, n- next one is, of course, my pick. So, um, Greg, uh, sorry, one more before you get to get to your your choice. So. <laughs> one more. Uh, Stop for through it, man. One more fruitless uh, for <laughs> clambering like around so in the close. dark. Trying to find <laughs> I something. I think you really had a chance. No. <laughs> well, maybe we'll get this one. Okay, tropical. <laughs> yeah, not 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 quite the richness of Stella no, Blue. There. No, no, I wouldn't say so. <laughs> Okay, I think I might have this, uh, but uh, the uh, hit question could be the clincher. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, which boss was added for this remake? Uh, consistent. I think it is encouraging. Yeah. I'm, I'm realizing there's a bit of a trend, trend for, my game, for the game selections for this uh, episode. Uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Thank you. 
Yeah, well, uh, certainly. Uh, I mean, I, I guess yeah, it's, it's, there's enough overlap with some of the other games that share most of this game's name that I could get this wrong. <laughs> but I, I'm pretty confident this is Super Mario Advance. No ever, other part of the title where it then goes Super Mario Brothers World, Super Mario World, or Super <laughs> Mario Brothers Three, or anything like that. Just Super Mario Advance. Yes, you got it, man. Oh, I have been go. I have been chipping away at this over the past few months. Actually, I've, I've been uh, playing it here, there. Oftentimes, probably without the sound on. Actually, so no, I, I, I won't admittedly be uh, regularly informed whether that was in fact just what Luigi needed. But uh, <laughs> that's what they I did, oh, I, boy. <laughs> I heard. I think I've heard enough. Uh, you know, to kind Lucky. of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. Someone needs to do the the Mr. Driller rom hack where the <laughs> the luckies are replaced with Luigi's own lucky. A missed opportunity in the year yeah. of Luigi, but you know maybe a, a subsequent year of Luigi can, can correct this. <laughs> yeah. So so right. This was a launch game for the Game Boy Advance. You, you kind of alluded to this game indirectly earlier. Um, this you know the, the first of these Super Mario Advance ports um, wasn't as straightforward as the others. This, this game is kind of a weird, bizarro version of Super Mario Brothers 2, um, whereas I, I'd argue that the, the other Mario Advance games um, that came out subsequently are, are fairly direct ports. I mean, I think the Yoshi's Island one had some extra levels that I, I wasn't crazy about. Yeah, this one they did. doesn't have new levels, but like, there's weird remixing, right? I mean, they got a lot of like giant enemies and giant pals, and I think there's like an extra mushroom you can find in most of the levels, and I don't know, just a really weird version of this game, uh, in a good way. I, I think I think it's I, I want I like you, I suspect, uh, on Nintendo Switch Online revisiting this, and um, it's uh, it's worth replaying. Um, yeah, it's sort of, I mean, the thing is, it's it's. Obviously, Super Mario Brothers 2 itself, fundamentally, is, is a game I like, right? So they, they couldn't have gone that far wrong. And I've played, you know, pretty much, I think, you know, the, the, the main kind of versions of this in terms of I've played, uh, you know, the NES version, I've played the uh, Super Mario All-Stars version, which obviously this shares a fair bit with, you know, because it is kind of mm-hmm. roughly, you know, kind of 16-bit standards. But as you say, I don't think it's that direct. Like, it's not exactly just... You know, um, Super Mario All Stars with a smaller play area, you know, visible play area. Like it is more different than that for sure, for based on you know what I can remember reading and stuff. But uh, you know, and not just the, the voice stuff either. There's other there's other differences and whatnot. But uh, no, it, I think it's always a fundamentally you know uh, entertaining game. And I, I know, like as a child, reading about. Um, you know, kind of uh, the NES stuff when we had just got the the system and stuff. Um, you know, kind of like it seemed to take a few sort of knocks in you know the the reviews, sort of retro reviews, or you know just kind of general like uh, discussion of the Mario games on the system kind of like that you know it was it was too easy compared to the first one or you know you'd get through it too fast or you know, this sort of thing but obviously those sorts of um, you know when you're playing it in retrospect those sorts of concerns are pretty 
you know, immaterial at this point, you know what I mean? It's just like, oh no, I won't spend, you know, weeks on it just hitting my head on the wall of, you know, like the way you, you might do with the original Super Mario Brothers, I guess, you know. Yeah. It's, I mean, obviously all these things have been somewhat mitigated by the kinds of features like save states, rewinds, all this kind of stuff, you want to avail yourself of that. But no, it, it's, uh, it's always been like a, a, a nice kind of... Um, you know, a platformer to, to run through, and then, yeah, with the advanced version, I think it, uh, and presumably, you know, to a fair degree, the all star version as well, just kind of probably took some of the kind of rough 8 bit edges that were still there uh, in the original version. And that it's uh, a little bit of a weird choice, I think, for a Lord's title from the point of view that. You know, so much of the uh, sort of marketing and discussion around the GBA was the kind of portable Super Nintendo thing. It was strange that you have a game that's mostly known for being an NES game, even though obviously it was in Super Mario All-Stars. So it kind of... I, w- I would say you know, majorly undercut or you know was it like any kind of cross purpose with their overall marketing message but it was a little bit of an odd choice but I think you know in some ways it was a good choice because uh, you know it is just the kind of I think the kind of fun, re- reliably kind of fun experience they could probably put together, at, you know, seemingly a little bit short notice for a console launch you know and, and it was effective in that regard. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, how, Mario Brothers 2 is funny in that a lot of the challenge um, is like searching for the mushrooms, which are thoroughly optional, right? And um, I mean, I, I had fun as a kid like, trying to find them all. I mean, it's a bit tedious, you know, <laughs> just dropping your... Your potion here. Oh, that wasn't there. Okay, let's let's go over here. You know, sometimes. But, yeah, yeah. But, it's um, a cool idea. The the whole like subspace or whatever. You know, the the flip side of the world, and you know, the fact that the, yeah. you could get the the coins there to to get yourself extra lives, which obviously you know in the original version was more important. And yeah, the, the lives were a bit, probably a bit more uh, precious. You know, when you're playing the eight bit version, but. You know, like it's a cool idea, but yeah, the execution has some kind of issues in terms of. I, I think it's it's got that kind of expectation of a tolerance for trial and error baked in that obviously, as time goes on, is is less expected of players, and you know, it fades away from the you know, kind of design so much. But you know, like I said, God, so many games back then were like some of them were just almost entirely based around like trial and error. So you know, it, it was relatively quite accommodating, I think. Yeah, well, I this was uh, composed obviously by Koji Kondo originally, but Masami Yonia, I think, contributed some of the really dinky stuff there that I wouldn't say is my favorite Mario songs in, of uh, the franchise, but. But I wanted I wanted to feature some of the new stuff. So. Yeah, I was going to say obviously because I, I'm sure we've had some versions of Super Mario Brothers two, you know, uh, before, and uh, you know, I guess the interesting thing is now everybody knows you know, this was Doki Doki Panic originally and then when they made it into Super Mario Brothers 2 I guess they they put the a version of the underwater song from Super Mario Brothers mm-hmm. as the title theme uh, you know it's, it's a little bit 
random. You know, you know what I mean? But I guess it's like, well, it's yeah. a it's a tune that's recognisably from Super Mario Brothers as opposed to from you know the, the other songs that were composed just for you know this non Super Mario game, Doki Doki Panic. But the underwater song as the title, it seems a bit strange. I don't know. I always like that touch. It's I a good. It it's a good illusion, but it's not all too. It's not too on the nose. I kind. I always kind of liked it. I think what they did with it was nice in that they made it the way it was kind of obviously it was already somewhat the case because it's an underwater song but the slow kind of quality to it I think fit in with this whole dream like uh, concept for the game you know what I mean so like I think it was a, it was a somewhat like I, obviously originally I just kind of accepted it you know what I mean like you just like well yeah that, that's that's what they use for the title theme it's, it's in retrospect you kind of think of it oh, that's kind of an interesting choice isn't it but you know I think it did work and then I think the, the weirder part is I think the subsequent Super Mario Advance games at least some of them essentially maintain it as their title theme as well so, I think that's a cure from Super Mario All-Star. I think that was done in Mario All-Star. Yeah, so maybe that's the thing. It went from yeah, Super Mario Brothers to you know, USA, that transition process, through to All-Stars. And then you know, the advanced games yeah. are kind of like chopping up All-Stars and putting them on, is, with yeah. the exception of Yoshi's Island, of course, putting them on GBA. So yeah, that 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 is the sort of curious like legacy that uh, that we got to and so it became this kind of like you know, recurring title thing even though originally it was the underwater music it's it's a it's a funny little touch but i think it works best with super mario brothers 2 like i said because it just has that kind of sort of um, oddball like dreamy quality but uh you know that's that's how they presented the game and kind of understandably so because it is you know as it has these kind of additional elements and you know elements that weren't necessarily conceived as mario things you know with like the, the some of the enemies and plucking the vegetables and all this kind of stuff uh you know it it, it, it will always have that kind of oddball quality but uh, the extra boss so is, is this I'm not sure if this necessarily counts but there's like a mecha birdo that's like yeah. bigger um, it, is that that, that 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 is considered to be a sort of separate boss because you certainly do a lot of birdo fighting in this so it, it's kind of interesting that is a separate boss it, it, it plays differently and I think it replaced one of the reused yes yeah bosses. I, think I think you're right so yeah so. there was the original game I think had like Mauser twice and Marvel's Tried Clyde twice, or yeah, yeah. Clyde so there, there, there was some reuse. So they, one of those was swapped out for this Roberto boss, which yeah, not the most memorable boss, but it was they, they added something new. So. No, it. There was a lot of like little flourishes they added. You know, like oh, we got to use the kind of sprite scaling, you know, kind of stuff. And uh, in some ways, the things you could have imagined being added to the to the All Stars version, you know, because it's like well, that was something the Super Nintendo could do that you couldn't do on NES. But they didn't. They were they were relatively kind of straightforward. So whereas with this, I guess it left them some room to like, no, we'll we'll do some embellishments with giant enemies and you know things that spin around. And, and all this kind of stuff and uh, you know it, 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 um, again a lot of the time in these days it probably would have been more about screenshots 
the video, you know, especially for portables, uh, but you know, it gave them something to show off, uh, you know, on the back of the box or in a magazine that, uh, you know, this wasn't just, uh, you know, the, the All-Stars version or the 8-bit version. Yeah. So those who are paying attention, I say, well, Mar- you did two Mario games in a row, man. What, what the heck? I, I, I felt like I had to choose something because uh, subsequent to uh, that last selection, it was revealed that Charles Martinet is no longer going to be voicing Mario. So I did want to kind of have an opportunity to uh, to acknowledge that. And, uh, this, this is uh, one of the cases of him earning his money, uh, perhaps more than he, some yeah, games. Yeah, definitely <laughs> recorded a fair amount for this game. It, it was... <laughs> recycled for the subsequent Mario Dance games. I, you know, I read somewhere someone claimed that he also did some of the other like boss battle voices, like the, the enemy boss voices. Yeah, they have I, things I to say, don't yeah. they? The bosses, yeah. Yeah, so like you know, Mauser and you know Fry Guy, they all have like kind of one-liner Saturday morning type type thing. You know, I'm too hot to handle or whatever <laughs> Fry Guy says. <laughs> Yeah, nice. so, uh, uh, th- that could be him. I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I was just something I saw on a tweet, so I don't, or an X or whatever the heck. The <laughs> yeah, what would you but, even uh, call it? There, right? <laughs> yeah. I, it's still a tweet, damn it. Yeah, um, again, no, that's yeah. Sure. So, so uh, you know, thank you, Charles, for all the, all the laughs. Uh, I actually, uh, he happened to be at a signing stuff at a at a convention near where I live, like a week after that announcement was made. So I, yeah. I actually. Got my butt over there and, and shook his hand, and uh, and you know he was he was he was uh, he had a pretty long line there. I so. uh, I, I have my uh, my Super Mario Galaxy copy signed by Charles Martinet. Nice. Yeah, I went to so, the uh, uh, he was he was over here doing promotion when it launched in the uh, in the Oxford Street, you know, which is one of the the, the biggest sort of. Uh, well, I, I don't know how things are now, you know, with uh, retail's taking a beating, but, you know, that was uh, one of the biggest stores in London, you know, at the time, you know, one of the highest profile locations uh, for the big UK uh, games retailer, and he was there doing, you know, uh, signing copies and doing, like, uh, sort of um, a media appearance where you had a guy in the Mario suit, and he was just sort of standing mm. to the side, you know, to, doing the voice. And to, I'm doing double. <laughs> yeah, it's cute. <laughs> Two Marios. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's, it is the end of an era. But, um, you know, I, I uh, remember yeah. the, this the port or your version, whatever you got. It kind of, like, set the stage for new Super Mario Brothers a little bit in that it's got those advanced coins, or the A coins, the big red ones, um, you know, that, that they added to this that's, that feel like it's sort of the forerunner to Star Coins in new Super Mario Brothers. Uh, and then also yeah I mean I I don't know I, I, I'd argue that um, the, the Game Boy Color game Super Mario Bros. True. really it started that that's uh, true the, the it was, there, was, there was some, some overlap with that as well it's, it's a fair point and there was some and kind you, of you go further back the Mario World games had those dragon coins. The dragon coins, yeah. Coins. But the thing with the dragon coins is they didn't track them. Like, that's the weird thing. And yeah. it's, it's something that Super Mario Advance uh, 2, Super Mario World, does do. It tracks that, and you do get you know, some sort of acknowledgement if you get all of them. Where, But, uh, yeah, I always found that kind of baffling, because especially even you know, in the original version of Super Mario World, it's not that big a deal if you get an extra life from getting all the dragon coins. You know what I mean? Like, big, big whoop. 
going to be even back then. So yeah, it, I always find it. Look, where's the, you know, this very, very clearly tracks the the big A coins, uh, and and it's also got some sort of Yoshi stuff after that. I think after you complete the game, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I, I think that like basically one of the mushrooms turns into, or at least from what I could tell, I only did like the first couple of levels in that mode, but. Um, the, the mushrooms turn into Yoshi coins. So you got to find the two Yoshi eggs, um, and so and like I said, there's there's a fifth mushroom added to most of the levels. So I suspect the Yoshi egg is often added in in the new locations. So right. Yeah. You know, the idea sense. being you got to really hunt for these, which of course gets back to the well. Okay, you got your potion. You get to use it one time. Drop. Oh, no, wasn't there. Let me try again. Which, uh, you know, the rewind feature yeah, is, uh, really, is a blessing the, yeah. if you actually want to go that's, for that. That's a damn, <laughs> <still good>, <laughs> damn good use case for that rewind function. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay, uh, we got last game here. Greg's pick. So let's see here. You you got two of the games, didn't you? I did, you yeah. The two, two, not Wally bad. Wars and uh, Mario Advance. That's not bad. Yeah, not bad. Good. I mean, one of them, well, to be fair, I, mean, I played both of them on Switch Online, but uh, one of them was with Super Mario Advance. I, I, I mean, not like in the past week or something, but probably in the past month I've played that, so I would have been bitterly disappointed to get that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I really. Yep. Ah, you love that stuff. It's as cheesy as it is, I, I like it. I think by Mario Advance 4, Super Mario Bros. 3, I, even I had grown tired of it. <laughs> Alright, actually, it's not. I wanted to keep that that uh, leaf, and now I got him a uh, fire flower. I, I, no, it's, it's very I, much not what I needed no, or wanted. No, I wanted that hammer suit. It wasn't, wasn't what I wanted. Nope. <laughs> wanted to keep that special suit. Nope. <laughs> oh, boy. Mamma mia. You might be getting better, but nobody cheats better than Waluigi!
Yeah, this this soundtrack has a number of songs that are supremely relaxing. Obviously, it goes a bunch of different places as a whole, but you could, you could pick out a good subset that's like, yeah, this is you know, some of the most relaxing video game music you'd probably find, especially for the era, uh, I'd say.
Definitely some clues, I think, in uh, you know the style and the instrument choices there, even if you might not be uh, specifically mm-hmm. aware or recall this this uh, this game. Greg, would you like to read the hint question? Yes, well, read is, uh, you know, it's, it's, I'm just going to sort of riff uh, <laughs> the vague concept that I <laughs> came up with. Would you like to give the hint yes, question? Yes, I, I will give it as best I can. Hopefully it comes out somewhat cogent. Uh, so this uh, game uh, contains a related game that first launched on what piece of particular Nintendo hardware?
Well, I think that had pretty much everything you could ask for to guess the game, and it's also just an excellent song. Uh, but uh, I suppose- I'm, I'm hoping that at least someone was listening to this and started doing a double take. Wait, wait, what? What? What, what was that motif? Wait, what? What? Yeah, what did yeah. It, wait, it, it, ah! it kind of goes. Yeah. It kind of goes from the main motif. Uh, you know, certainly the one that's. Uh, I think a lot of people would primarily associate with this game, and then sort of segues into one from its predecessor, uh, which you know, might you know kind of uh, give people the opportunity to guess if they only know its predecessor versus uh you know mm-hmm. this particular edition so it may as well you know just uh, dispense with the uh, ambiguity any further this is chrono cross the radical dreamers edition for switch because of course that's the point it's on a nintendo platform now so we can use it and i therefore very it's Masuda again we yes it is mitsuda again and very you know i very strongly suggested that we <laughs> that we use this now that it is uh, you know, eligible that that coveted radio trivia seal of quality, uh, radio trivia eligibility, <laughs> can be applied to Chrono Cross now. And uh, you know, I thought, yeah, we we, we should really do that because obviously it's uh, a classic uh, soundtrack. And um, yes, Mitsuda again. And this is really kind of one of the places where you know you kind of that that much more strong Celtic inflection could be felt. Uh, you know, which obviously we saw mm. in those three songs really you know the the, the kind of uh, and across this soundtrack you know in terms of uh, you know your acoustic guitar the flute the sort of fiddle you know the bagpipes you know it, it, it's all there and you know I guess you, you could certainly trace you know a certain amount of similarity back to Chrono Trigger yes but really it was kind of uh, a bit later because that was very early for Mitsuda Chrono Trigger the first things he ever did wasn't it so like then, then you know the the, the real Celtic influence that seems to have like just become his kind of passion came through more in the late 90s because I think what Xenogears would have been before this and that certainly has its Celtic moments and then this even more strongly Uh, and uh, I think for the Radical Dreamers edition um, they did some kind of uh, new versions of Chrono Cross songs with, for instance, that kind of uh, Celtic vocal group that they used on Xenoblade 2, I believe, and stuff. So, yeah, really kind of leaned into it for you know, some kind of new arrangements and whatnot. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah it, it, was, it was definitely one of those was as somebody who, you know, played Chrono Trigger but was just an N64 owner. It definitely kind of uh, hurt a bit, you know, to, to not have the option. This is probably Symphony of the Night were the really big ones. Like, I wasn't a Final Fantasy person. So FF7, I recognised the gravity of it, you know, that, that, that it was important, that it was, you know, and it ended up being a big deal for Sony's commercial fortunes, but it didn't, you know, sort of feel like it, it directly affected me. Whereas, you know, Symphony of the Night, uh, you know, with its amazing soundtrack, and then this with also with an amazing soundtrack, but of course the games themselves and you know the games they were sort of sequels to, uh, having been series, you know that uh, you know, had been uh, successful and beloved on Nintendo. It you know they, they hurt at the time, and finally now after all these years, it's it's playable on Nintendo again. Yeah, uh, I probably should play this game I, I remember 
hearing such conflicting things like, well, it's really kind of its own thing. It's not really that similar to Chrono Trigger and blah, blah, blah. So it kind of chased me away from, from checking it out up until now. Um, yeah. But damn, listen to this music. It's like, ah. And I will confess, I'm using the PlayStation version of the music. As far I think, as I can I think tell from, from the comments, it's essentially a, a, a emulation of of that. So uh, it's got to be pretty damn close to what the the um, Switch version is. Yeah, I don't think there's a particular difference for for the majority of songs. Like, so they made some new songs, which I don't know if they just use that for like some of the like menus and you know, kind of outside of the That's main game. That's what I read. Um, it's literally like a, a section of the menu system where they just have, and here's some extra songs at least that, yeah, that's yeah. what some, I read here's some new versions yeah so you know that that's nice certainly to do something to kind of promote the game you know a little bit extra uh, yeah because it doesn't seem like you know this wasn't the most lavish remake called Port or preservation project in the world it seems like actually they'd lost a lot of the original data you know the source code and stuff for the game had not been properly preserved so it was a bit pieced yes. together and it probably didn't have the most time and money to do it and i think it was significantly patched afterwards you know maybe to, to uh, correct some you know uh, flaws oversights whatever bugs but um you know yeah obviously not like uh the most royal treatment, I guess, you know, and, and not that you'd necessarily expect it. I mean, it's not like the FF7 remake or anything, you know, I mean, you know, it's not, and although that is kind of its own game, really. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's still very nice that it can, it's come back and it's available on Nintendo platforms. I I did play this a bit on PSN, you know, when, when I had a PS3, it was my first time really owning a PlayStation platform, and of course that had the PlayStation Store with the, the, mm -hmm. the, the original classics and stuff, so I played it a fair bit, but it, it was a bit limiting playing it that way, and I, I, you know, in terms of, like, how many hours I didn't play, you know, PS3 was never my main platform, really. You know, that tended to be my Nintendo things uh, so I didn't get put that much time in it and then with the new version I probably only got about as far as I did when I got to that oh, so no. I am generally quite bad with RPGs you know I mean I think like Xenoblade is a rare example where like yeah I've actually seen the credits on all three well four with, with X uh, of those games uh, but yeah I mean not everything like I've, I own Torner, you know, I haven't actually finished or you know, played that, and you know, the, the future connected uh, part of the, the definitive edition of the original Xenoblade, which I've not done. So, yeah, I do, I do struggle a lot of the time with these like kind of longer form games. Even though I, I, I'm sure Chrono Cross is not like the longest RPG in the world, being you know when it's from and all, but it was, I believe, you know, a fair bit longer than Chrono Trigger, which was relatively quite snappy as as RPGs yeah, well, tend yes, to be. That that's my favorite thing about Chrono Trigger, honestly. I mean, I, I love basically everything about that game, but the fact that it is so snappy, it just keeps on moving along, and especially on subsequent playthroughs, you can just play it so quickly, even if you're not doing a, a Game Plus version of it, that it, it just it's very satisfying. You can really sink your teeth into it and have a good time, and, and I, I suspect this game is based on what you're saying, at least 30 hours? It, like I, I believe, like I said, I've not finished it myself, so, you know, I can't speak to it, and then there's a kind of, like, a, you know, kind of true ending part to it, I believe, you know, where it's like, well, you could kind of finish it, but, you know, if you want to do it for real, there's there's probably some more hoops to, to, to jump through to see the true final boss or whatever, but, I mean, it's, uh, I think, 
one of the biggest things I always remember reading about it, you know, long before he even played it, was the notion that, you know, Chrono Trigger flowed better because, you know, there wasn't this um, gap between, you know, a battle, you know, initiating from the overworld to the actual battle scene. It was all seamless with Chrono Trigger. Mm, uh, and and yeah. with this, especially on its original form, running off a CD, you know, it was okay, battle starts, right, CD starts loading, uh, battle, <laughs> you know, graphics start loading in or all that, and it was quite, you know, kind of, it broke up the flow of the game a fair bit, I think, and so that uh, was something, I guess, that particularly you know, if you were coming to it, more from that Chrono Trigger background where that flowed so well even relative to its sort of contemporaries in the mid 90s uh, you, you would have felt that I think a bit so you know that presumably is less so now where the, the loading times are not going to be you know uh, as protracted because it's not actually loading off a CD but I, I assume there's still some of that just in the fundamental shift from you know, the overworld graphics to the uh, the battle graphics and so forth so yes it's it's, a, it's something of a different beast from the original Chrono Trigger but uh, equally it's got a fair few callbacks so certainly in the soundtrack as we already heard in that last song uh, and there are others as well uh, you know and it, it, it's um, obviously for me having uh, you know enjoyed the Chrono Trigger soundtrack so much um, this you know sounds quite a bit different it's not like a Final Fantasy 7 kind of thing where FF7 really seemed like it was trying to sound a lot like the Super Nintendo ones for quite a lot of the soundtrack whereas this you know being a bit later perhaps and uh, uh, just you know uh, maybe the fact that you know the game was not exactly positioned as a direct sequel in many ways because a lot of the you know a lot of, it's not like a lot of the same characters are in the main c- c- cast anymore or you know it's sort of obliquely connected narratively and so forth so you know it's it, uh, very much more embraces I mean there's definitely some instruments that you kind of look back on now that sound like quite oh, yeah. synthetic. I'm thinking of the guitar, electric guitar in particular, like, uh, yeah, that don't really quite stand up. But a lot of it, you know, sounds a lot more kind of rich and organic than, you know, Super Nintendo synth did, uh, and gives it that Celtic feel that we've been talking about uh, as a result. So, yeah, when you look back at it now, there's, a, there's a, some sort of anachronistic elements in there. I think, um, you know, sort of some of the more glaringly synthetic ones. But, um, you know, I think it, to me, it always just listening to it from far, it kind of sounded more like, oh, okay, you know, this is the kind of stuff you get on a CD console more than FF7 ever did, I guess. You know? Yeah, I think one thing I want to add about the, the first song that I played, um, it may be familiar to some people because. Uh, that song was actually featured on that Play for Japan or Pray for Japan uh, project uh, post uh, the nuclear reactor the Fukushima disaster. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, at the time I didn't realize that that, that was originally from Chrono Cross. And so I'm listening, yeah, it's certainly Mitsuda. I wonder if this was kind of like a leftover song that he hadn't used or something. But no, no, it's, it was just a rearrangement of. Uh, I've a Chrono Cross song. I just oh, and it, 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 it's like some of the acoustic guitar stuff in this is great. 
like I said, like there's some electric yeah. guitar type sound that uh, doesn't really work for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit, I'm a bit yeah. like stubborn about electric guitar type sound and stuff. Like you definitely like quite a lot of Super Nintendo games that rely on some electric guitar sample. I'm like, nah, it's not doing it. It's not doing it for me. I, 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 I really like <laughs> it's something when it's just that bit wrong or like not quite, you know, kind of faithful. It, 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 it could throw me off, but uh, the acoustic stuff in this is just uh, it's, yeah, so rich, so lovely. And uh, yeah, the, the kind of the main sort of theme that we heard in the third track that I guess is like most associated with the kind of overworld theme, I think it's, it's a few different translations, but it's like uh, the shore of dreams. And it's like the each, a lot of, tra- well, I wouldn't say a lot, a number of tracks have different versions because the whole point with Chrono Cross is there's a split of two worlds and um, you know they're kind of referred to in the soundtrack listings a lot of the time as you know the the home world that you would start in and the another world uh, you know so it's sometimes called dreams of the shore of another world but I think it's mostly just referring to it's that version of it rather than it's the title of the song but yeah these are some of the things that you get with different translations or whatever. but that is yeah, one of the most famous songs from the soundtrack it's just absolutely gorgeous but there's there's lots of stuff here that is uh, really really effective and I'd say it's got one of the most effective vocal ending songs it's it, it's quite a sort of tradition it's almost sort of obligatory it felt like at a certain point to do a vocal ending song you know like it, it, in some cases i think memorably kind of um dubious fit like the the, the symphony of the night one in particular it's kind of like how does this fit in with the rest of the soundtrack? How is this sort of a fitting close to everything else in the soundtrack? You know, but with um, in this case, it's I think it's really, really effective. And in fact, it is a version of a song from the answer to the hint question. So the hint question was about you know the fact that this the Radical Dreamers edition contains a game from previous Nintendo hardware. That game is, in fact, Radical Dreamers, which was on Satellaview, so Super Famicom, but distributed a little bit like that uh, Sega channel, but by satellite uh, to, you know, rewritable Super Famicom cartridges. Uh, So, yeah, that's the hint question, but that song, Radical Dreamers, was actually composed for that game. So, like, Mitsuda had worked on this Satellaview game along with the director of the game Masato Kato both of them kind of holding over from Chrono Trigger and then on to Chrono Cross but you know obviously a lot of things changed like Chrono Cross was almost in some ways like kind of trying to do some of the things they did in that Satellaview game but kind of do it right you know I guess they felt like it didn't turn out you know they weren't able to do everything they wanted to do not surprisingly it was a very limited format you know on Satellaview it's kind of a bit of a you know something of a visual novel but it's got you know interactive aspects and things and you can play that now uh, on, on this edition of it but you know they kind of wanted to you know uh, explore the, some of those narrative concepts but uh, you know on a bigger scale and, and more you know do everything they wanted to do with them but Mitsuda actually kind of you know went back to those compositions and, and brought them you know in, into this 
soundtrack as well and like I said the vocal version of that Radical Dreamers theme is, is really really good I think it's just uh, you know kind of I, I know the actual true ending to Chrono Cross narratively is quite famously sort of bizarre and out of place <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the full context, having not played the game, to understand, you know, how and why it's so kind of bizarrely out of place. But the song is exquisite and, and fits very nicely. Well, that was the last game. We should probably wrap this up before uh, I get yanked downstairs by force. <laughs> and it's getting laid over where you are, too. So, sure. uh, Greg... Thank you so much for uh, joining me on, on this was pretty short notice uh, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, 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 we kind of uh, put it together pretty quickly, but, uh, you know, it's a case to strike while the iron's hot because, uh, yeah, you know, my... Uh... <laughs> They always have the uh, the energy or the, the kind of uh, lining up of, of schedules and things to pull it off. So I wouldn't have wanted to uh, to pass on the opportunity when it did present itself. And it's it's been uh, very much a pleasure uh, after a couple of years to to get back in and not embarrass myself horribly. Uh, you know, I, it wasn't you know all all sort of roses or whatever. But I think you know I, I gave it a good go from my many years of listening oh, yeah. to the show. Well, you can hear Greg on Radio Free Nintendo, of course. Uh, and uh, also, if you've got requests, uh, you can send them to me, typ at nintendoworldreport.com. Um, please do include radio trivia in the subject title so it's easy for me to, to search and find in my inbox. And uh, I'll add it to my list. I, I am, you know, going through those things and I'm slowly willing it down. So uh, you know, feel free to send me some request uh, please don't send me like 20 because then you'll never really get, get your, yeah. your requests uh i'll accomplish so maybe you choose the one you care about the most and send that in but um uh, i mean I'll, I'll, I'll write them all down if i haven't used them because uh you know i got writer essentially writer's block these days when it comes to selecting games so i, I always appreciate the help uh, when i'm putting one of these together uh, with that uh good night and uh Thank you, everyone, for listening and being patient with me uh, as I slowly uh, produce these podcast episodes. Uh, turn elsewhere if you want something every week. Sorry, I, I just, it's not going to happen. <laughs>
Mega Man, The Wily Wars is copyright 1987-1994, Capcom. Ridge Racer 64 is copyright 1993-2000, Namco, Nintendo. Stella Glow is copyright 2015, Sega, Atlas. Super Mario Advance is copyright 1983-2001, Nintendo. Chrono Cross. Wario hates a Chrono Cross. The Radical Dreamers Edition is copyright 1996, 1999, 2022. Square Enix.